Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, where we re- the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20 plus years of collecting films on obsolete formats. You can also think of this podcast as being about films from the VHS era, though not necessarily on VHS, and if you paid very close attention to the opening sounds of the podcast, this film is not on VHS. Our film today is... Electric Dreams from 1984, and we have it on Betamax, so we have a different tape format today. <laughs> this is our first Betamax. Second, we did Marnie a few, oh, many episodes back. That's right, that's right. Getting, and we got, uh, I bought it at Pleasant Dreams in Polish Hill once again. Um, <clears throat> it's like our supplier for... It is our supplier for tape. I mean, we have plenty of tapes. We do have 20 plus years of tapes that we've collected, but I can go... To that place and buy tapes I want right now. And so, <laughs> and a year or so ago, I was like, man, I want to, I've never seen, it's actually, this is my first time seeing Electric Dreams. Oh, I, I never wow. saw it before. Um, I always thought it was a cool idea and a cool movie and it was 1984 and I was seven years old. So I kind of missed this one until the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So... Um, I haven't seen it. I don't know if this was a movie. This movie did not do very well in the box office. So perhaps we should really... The plot of this movie or the premise of this movie... Is it really even have a plot? It's got a no. pre- it's got an extended premise. It's got an extended premise. I actually saw it as a child. And I think it was one of those like really bad films like Last Starfighter. That, well, there's some, some kind of fun parts of Last Starfighter. But I, it was one of those, again, films... Did horrible at the box office and just was like on HBO all the time yes. because it was cheap, uh, and it cost over five million to make and only made two point five million back. So it, I saw it. I've seen it maybe twice when I was younger, um, so I kind of had a vague memory of it. But you're right; it's an extended concept of a dorky architect can't keep his life together, buys a personal computer because he's always late to the big meeting and yeah. whatever. And, uh, oh, he's working on this brick problem, which actually never comes to fruition, really. Yes, Um, he's trying to make earthquake-proof bricks bricks, because the film is set in San Francisco. And so he accidentally spills champagne on the computer, which then causes it to maybe... Become sentient? Sentient, but he also calls into his boss's computer... And an early example of hacking, he hacks into his boss's computer. For what reason? There's like literally no reason that he does yes. it. But he hacks in, so he thinks it's a combination of the hacking and the champagne that the computer develops a personality called Edgar. Yes. Which is voiced by Bud Court. Who's the most famous of that group at that time, because he would have mm-hmm. done Harold and Maude, yes. which is a massive cult hit. Which we should do Harold and Maude at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Which we really should. Uh, but yeah, so, and then the other part of the extended premise is there's an upstairs neighbor who moves in, who's a cellist, who's beautiful, who did the beautiful classical musician love interest a year before Ghostbusters. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, who then they sort of fall in love, but also the sentient Edgar is also in love. And so there is a man, woman, computer, sentient AI computer singularity thing. Yeah. With a two color monitor that then they're in a love triangle together. And, and yeah, and he um 
likes her music, so Edgar it produces a synthesized version of her music that she's playing, and she assumes that it's the, the downstairs it's neighbor and this Miles, is how- which the joke is he accidentally types his name in wrong, and the computer calls him Moles. Um, but Miles is uh, then threatened by the computer. Well, like, feels threatened by <laughs> the computer. That um, can imitate Moles' voice and make yeah. phone calls and cancel his credit cards and yeah. lock his door and not let him out. So he also has this precursor of the sort of super wired apartment, right? which people have smart homes now. Yeah. I have a good friend. We have a good friend who has a smart phone home. Yeah. Who... Unfortunately, when you have a smart home, things happen like your Wi-Fi crashes and then suddenly none of the lights work or the power goes out and the power comes back on at 1.30 in the morning. Every single light in the house comes back on at the same time. Well, I you know, mean, all of that and, stuff. And, and so those sorts of like computer least, foible frustrations yeah. are part of the sight gags, Buster Keaton Really yeah. modern times ask Charlie Chaplin that yeah. sequence where he falls into the machine. There's like attempts at slapstick in the film. That's part of the premise. But that's the movie. Yeah. That's it. It's just like an extended premise. The director of the film, uh, he actually came off of making... Oops, oops I just <laughs> dropped the tape. Steve Barron came off of uh, making videos for MTV. So he did Aha, Take On Me, Billy Jean... Um, so he did like a bunch of famous uh, Summer 69. So he did a bunch of famous MTV videos. And this was his first film that he directed, which in some ways it just feels like like pauses between the videos. Like honestly, yes. music videos is what it feels like. And so there seems to be every like 15 minutes a music interlude that happens. Yes. Well, actually, this is what it says. The reason why you all got to hear the sound of a... Betamax tape falling on the floor in the year 2023 is because I wanted to grab the box, which is a gatefold box, by the way. It's also kind of weird. The music, this is what it says in the blurb in the back. The music video explosion meets the computer revolution in this modern fairy tale film. (laughs) Its score features nine original songs performed by such talents as Jeff Lynne, Phil Oakley, Giorgio Moroder, and Boy George and Culture Club. Which I only know Boy Boy George and Culture Club of that group. Yeah, actually, you know, I should have probably just read the box. We could have, like, that's actually, the the box is the premise summary. (laughs) The blurb. After that, it gets into the premise summary. And then, oddly, critical reception. uh, The New York Daily News really liked it. Um, Rusty Lemorande was Streisand's co-producer on Yentl. Uh... Rex Reed loved it. Siskel and Ebert both loved this film. Yeah. It was a rare, it was like Siskel, the era of Siskel and Ebert being truly resentful towards each other. Yeah. Um, but they both agreed on this. This is a great film. And uh, revisiting it in 2023, it's not. It's not. Um, it is not. And the only person besides Bud Court, the only other kind of recognizable person is Virginia Madsen, who did. Um, who did who did uh, can, uh, Candyman? Yes. That's what she's really famous for. Famous for yeah. Her role in Candyman. Um, yeah. It, oh, and there's one other famous person attached to this film. 
Richard Branson was one of the executive oh, that's producers. Right. <laughs> yes. At Richard, the end, we were like, is that Richard billionaire Branson? Billionaire Richard, Richard Branson, Branson had his hand in this film. Yeah, so, you know, we, we talked about it, and it's just, there's not really a plot to it. Um, like, there, you know, Max uh, Maxwell Caulfield, who played another musician in the symphony, um, he's very, very handsome, but there's like they there's a flirt, but that's it. There's like yeah, so it's a know, rom-com without a legitimate yeah third option. Yeah, because it's not like she's going to get to the com- with the computer. In fact, she never meets the computer until the very end. Until the very end, she does have this very sensual touch of one of the capacitors on the motherboard yes. of the computer, which is a very surreal scene. So that, you know, it, it says it's a modern fairy tale, and, and you, the thing I said to Matt is that he doesn't fight dragons. Miles doesn't have to fight dragons. There's no real competition for her love, because she's not going to run away with the computer. Yeah, um, I mean, it's almost like, yeah, instead of fighting dragons, it's the same thing as, like, if you have a printer at work that always jams. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that technological annoyance... And because it's a rom-com, you know the computer's not going to be dangerous. It's going to be more annoying, but you don't expect it to, like, harm him or harm her. Like, in Demon Seed, it's a horror movie, and the house, like, the computerized house is out, you know, to cause harm and kill people. You know because it's a rom-com, he's not going to kill anybody. But because it's a rom- but also it's supposed to be a rom-com, and- the tropes of rom-com, though, they're supposed to be the misunderstanding or the miscommunication and the relationship almost falls apart. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen either. either. Um, and so even early on when he first meets her, she moves into the upstairs apartment. He, like, hides the computer from her and there's, like, really no reason. Yes. To. So there's this kind of, like, him trying to hide the computer but even if she it, found which out... Which is an attempt at slapstick, and he's, yeah. you know, he's just got out of the shower, so he's only wearing a towel, and there's supposed to be chemistry in that scene. Yeah. And there really isn't chemistry in that scene, even yeah. though he's almost sort of exposed, and she's checking him out. Right. Um, and as you... The, the important point that you made, though, after watching the movie, when I was like, what's wrong with this movie? I don't get it. Like, why would it not work? Why was I not satisfied? As you mentioned, if there's a character in the film that learns and grows... It's Edgar. The computer. We spend all our time with Miles, yeah. the architect, and it's like, Miles is not a protagonist, he's just a main character. Yeah. And he is the main character, but this peripheral, you know, back in our day, computers were beige plastic boxes. <laughs> the beige plastic box is the one that has to learn the true meaning of love and right. learn how to overcome these obstacles. Yeah. And if Miles has to overcome anything, again, he has to tame this piece of technology that annoys him, which, you know, I just set up a new Wi-Fi router today. Yeah. That level of frustration, but it doesn't go beyond there. Right. And there's these places where they're supposed to be slapstick, I think, because of it, and it really doesn't work. Yeah. And... Yeah, and you know there is yeah. the the scene like where where Edgar cancels his credit cards, um, but like Edgar doesn't do anything. Like they're like kind of childish tantrums, right? He cl- yeah. he cancels, but he doesn't interfere. Though he could dial into his boss's computer, he doesn't do anything malicious to him in relation mm-hmm. to like work, right? 
And like the thing, like, so they, the, the, the architect miles is supposed to be working on this brick and you have these scenes of, of Edgar trying to figure it out a little bit with him, but like nothing happens Yeah. with that. Um, and it's like Edgar, if Edgar solved that problem, you could see Edgar getting mad around that, but he's mad because Madeline thinks Miles wrote this song for her, and he wrote the song. So it's trying to be Cyrano, the Brojack, like a little bit. But if if it really was being that, then like Edgar would be calling Madeline, pretending to be Miles, saying sweet things to her. So even that premise doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, like one song makes is supposed to make I mean as someone who absolutely loves and adores the 90 minute runtime yeah and thinks it should be the industry standard I mean you know, let's face it you make a 90 minute PG movie so that you can sell it to TV yeah so it was on HBO it was also on was one hour 36 minutes it was also on like free TV with commercials yeah. you can splice some commercials in there and you got a two you got two hours of primetime programming on Channel Eleven New York. Yeah. Which is where I would always see commercials for it, but I would just never yeah. watch it. Um but the thing about the movie that is interesting and works though, there is something about it. And I think we have to start by saying we also saw Megan today. Yes. We, we did. saw the AI killer robot movie. Yes. And which is, by the way, better than it has any right to be. It should be dumb, kitschy horror. It's smart, kitschy horror. Yeah, really, really smart, smart, kitschy horror. Yeah. Um, and just a very well-crafted film with excellent placing, pacing, meaningful character development. Yeah. And is sort of a genuinely kind of fun, thrilling plot of like, are these people going to survive? And who's going to survive? And what's right. going to happen to Megan? Um, and so we were joking in the car ride home, we should finally watch Electric Dreams and do it on the podcast, and here we are. Here we are, yep. Absolutely. And, and so, in 1984, the writers and directors and filmmakers of Electric Dreams were actually smarter than IBM. Mm. My dad worked for IBM in the 1980s, and the belief was in 82 or 83 at IBM computers were as fast and as smart as they were ever going to get mm -hmm. and they weren't going to be able to really do anything else much yeah. beyond where they were yeah and actually you know not imagining that 40 years later we could have a smart home right or that we could genuinely think about artificial intelligence and what happens if we create something that can think for itself and suddenly gets its own agenda or reminds us that we're not so intelligent. And even in the moment of people uh, freaking out about chatbot, yeah, uh, this idea that you can use computers to create things and maybe we're not so smart or special as we think we are. Right. And so that is actually weirdly prescient and ahead of its time. Yeah. It also anticipates maybe the idea of the algorithm and metadata. Yeah. Because instead of having the internet, like the way that Megan goes off the rails is Megan just has Google right. and suddenly like has to optimize herself and learns about all these things. Um, Edgar has TV yes. and watches a bunch of TV and so learns from, yeah. which again is this sort of like we're going to distill all this info that yeah. computers can distill all this information and sort of figure things out. Yeah. Which 
if not AI, I mean the algorithm itself. Yeah. And there's a Duke PhD student working on a project called Creep Aesthetics, which I hope is going well. And I hope I get to buy that as a trade paperback at some time and read it. Because I saw the guy read some of it in a conference and this idea that, you know, we expect the internet to learn things about us. Yeah. We both get creeped out about it. And we also get annoyed when it gets it wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. And so... That element of the film is strangely brilliant. Watching it again in the 2020s, they figured all of that out. I mean, they didn't figure out a plot. They didn't have good jokes. They didn't know character development. But they knew how the personal computer device... I mean, even he goes to the computer store really looking for a PDA. Right. He's he's looking for a Newton. He's looking for a Palm Pilot. Right. Because somebody has one of those and instead gets this whole system that can control everything in his house. And keeps bringing in more components so that it can do more and more. Yes. Yeah. Which is... Also is what reality is now. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like you go like, I got Alexa. Now I need this. Now I need this. Like I now need... I need the, yeah. the constant upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, so they they also got that and understood that. And early hacking. Like, they yes. had in early hacking um, yeah. that we saw in War Games, right? But they had yes. early, early hacking with it. Which came out the year before. But I think the thing for me that would have been the more fascinating film is if, as I said, if Edgar was calling Madeline and having conversations with her over the phone and Madeline falls... For Edgar pretending to be Miles. Yes, because Edgar can mimic Miles's voice. Yeah. And so, like, that... Which is also a thing yeah. that... Compu- I mean, if you saw the Andy Warhol Netflix documentary and a few other things, you could now have computer simulations of dead yeah. people's voices. Or living people's voices, yeah. for that matter. The deep fake. So, it yeah. imagined the deep fake, which we got to in, what, 2019, 2020... Yeah. They figured this out in 1984 yeah. that we were headed. Right. And I think, so that would have been interesting if she, because that would have actually predated her. Yes. And. Also, yeah. Yeah. And so Madeline would have, what would it mean for a, a computer to be able to fake a human relationship with a human and the human not know it, right? Yes. But instead, what you end up having is Miles and Edgar, like, as, like, two bro broy roommates fighting over... The same girlfriend. The same girlfriend is literally... And there's happens. no... Leg- and, and the girlfriend literally does not know Edgar exists. Exactly. Exactly. So there was no, you know, there actually wasn't anything to fight over. Like, it was really, really strange. The other thing I think that they got well is that as the computer was learning to be to think more human-like it did act like a toddler so it had tantrums and it had things like that which i found interesting because that yes like would that be the case right if if a a computer does become sentient would it go through almost the toddler phase right so but a toddler with all the wealth of knowledge in the world you know, like, but in that kind of trying to figure out emotional states. Yes. And how to react to a situation. Edgar just has tantrums all the time. Yes. Um, and that's that's kind of kind of it. And then he canceled credit cards and 
you know, explodes. Which is the other thing is I think, you know, maybe it doesn't, it, well, not maybe, it doesn't do love and romance and romantic misunderstandings, though that's a long tradition, it doesn't do that well. But in a weird way, this movie does fit, and what the irony, how ironic, I should say, we're watching this film, we watch this film on a failed, the failed via yeah. the videotape format Betamax. Yeah. That was supposed to be the future, but wasn't. Right. Um, there's this long trope, and there was a number of films in the 80s, but I would say, even goes back to, you think, the um, John Cheever short story, The Enormous Radio, yeah. where the, the this new technology comes into the home, and, and The Enormous Radio, because nobody is a literature professor explained in terms of context at the time the story came out nobody understood how radios worked mm. so the thought that this radio can then start listening into people's private conversations in their bougie new york city apartment building yeah and finding out all the horrible secrets of everyone who lives in that building yeah as possible yeah um but then you think yeah we we did a little sleuthing and so yeah war games tron was 82 War Games '83, Terminator '84, same mo- same year as this movie. Yeah. Uh, Weird Science '85. There's also even the elements of Hal from 2001 in yeah, the film. Absolutely. The the idea that the contru- computer controls everything again. The computer can have its own agenda. Yeah. Which I think is let's face it. I think there is a little bit of a. Well, I mean, public anxiety these days. Well, about, yes, they also could throw in Alien. Right, because the cyborg or robot has his own agenda as well yeah. around things. But sorry, I apologize. For no, that. no, that's great. Yeah. I mean, which again is that idea of you know, I once heard someone describe some of Doris Lessing's sci-fi about this that you know, humans are interesting but not terribly important, <laughs> and that's part of our public anxiety about wherever technology is going is is maybe it's going to prove. We might be interesting, and a lot of us are not interesting. <laughs> but, but also, what if we're not important? This is true. This you is know, true, which, yeah. again, is a thing that this film kind of works out. Well, yeah. I mean, also, the funny thing is, too, because, like, you... Um, I don't remember what year Gun Ho would have been, but it would have been, like, the 80s. I think the, it was 87. It was a little later. But later. we had in the 80s, like, robots starting to come in to build cars as well, right? Yes. So there's also in the 80s this conversation around technology... Automation and Automation technology and technology and... taking over people's jobs. So, honestly, like, if they had pushed that envelope, what would it have mean for a robot or a computer to take over being the love interest or take over being the emotional connection for a person, which would have yeah. been fascinating. Which would have been fascinating, which is part of what's fascinating about Megan and yeah. is way too smart for a killer yeah. doll movie. Yeah. That is a major plot point for that film. Yeah. As attachment. Yep. Is attachment. And what if you could have perfect emotions and a perfect emotional being that loves you. Right. Or at least makes you feel loved. Right. And is, is focused on you and has the right response. Yes. And knows time. what to say. So that it does well. I mean, even the idea of the anxiety of, you know, canceling the credit cards, money is not a real thing. I mean, we get direct deposit. I mean, you know. Yeah. You know, the first time, the first week... 
you start a new job, you get a physical check. Right. Though some places don't even do that anymore. I think yeah. that's kind of gone. It's just the money just shows up in your right. account. And it's Is it real money? Is it, you know? Yeah. It's just the belief in the dollar. It's right. really what money is these days. Um, all of those little anxieties. And also the way things are glitchy. Like you, you know, this rush in our contemporary age to get things out first. Yeah. And whoever's first might win. They might not be right. It might not be fully good. But if you climb the mountain first, that's how tech now kind of works. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Electric Dreams certainly has those. Again, gestures towards modern times and a sort of Buster Keaton-y slapstick, silent slapstick thing. Yeah. But it doesn't work. No. no. Not at all. Not at all. Any other questions? I think we should. I think we talked about why the it's brilliant. It's a brilliant film. No, uh, is okay. The big four questions: Is a camp retro classic or just an old movie? Uh, I think just an old movie for me. Um, yeah. I don't even know if it kind of. I could see for some people it being a cult film for them. Mm. Um, I I just think it's an old film. I think it's just like a. a in the 80s, you get a lot of these kind of, like, silly premise films that really don't have much of a plot. Silly premise films with a soundtrack that is the title of the soundtrack song is the name of the movie, which for me makes it retro. Mm. I mean, it's not good, but it, it it's the only, it's a movie that could only have been made in 1984. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. You know, and yeah. it's very much... Uh, yeah, it's a period. It's very 1984 in the fashion, in the look, in the production of the film. Yeah, in the soundtrack, in computers. <laughs> I mean, that was the most fun thing about watching the Siskel and Ebert <laughs> review on on YouTube. And they're like, we don't know how computers work, so this is feasible, maybe. You know, which again, a lot of older people have these profound anxieties yeah. about. Like, you maybe, know, this maybe, thing you're dependent on, but it's a mystery. Made me think of Futurama when Fry is unfrozen, and they're like, "Welcome to the future." Like that's what it felt. There's like so. Well, so you know, I that. I remember that trope in elementary school. You know, we had you know, Tandy TRS eighties with two color monitors, and we learned basic. Yeah, we learned ten print ready exactly twenty print right or uh or happy. Or or uh, Oregon Trail. 30 and or Oregon Trail. Do you yeah. want to do you want to go left? Yes. Would you like water? No. Oh my god. Well, you know, we learned basic as a computer programming language, which would be funny. I don't know if there's a machine in the world that still runs basic or has sure. a practical use other than look, I got a TRS-80. Yeah. And it we can print ready. Um but that was supposed to be the future. Yeah. And I guess it was. Right. But not in a way that anybody had a realistically imagined except for some of the elements of the of the film electric dreams yeah. <laughs> so all right question two what about the social political distance bechtel text race are there any people of color in this film no no, no it's idyllic and, and it's and a rom-com and so it has to be idyllic and fuzzy but then also racially pure which is kind of weird. a creepy thing when you think about it and madeline is just like she's a cellist in a symphony, but like 
beyond just being cute. Like that's her role is just like to be cute. Is to be the She's cute. cute and sentimental. Yeah, that's that's about that's about it. Oh wait, she can throw a baseball really now. Well, so she's a dynamic person because she, she yes. Can she can I mean, which is weird. You think about characters like that again, retro characters like that in eighties that women who can be intelligent and have a skill and then have a, a non gendered skill. There was almost a an element of the the this film and other films of that era where like the novelty that such a woman could exist. Yeah, she's not like your mom. You know, right. it's the new generation. Yeah. You know, you said it at one point, like, one of the songs sound like a Pepsi commercial. And in a way, the whole movie is an 80s Pepsi commercial. <laughs> really? It just has that feel of, like, yeah. this is the choice of a new generation. And as, and this maybe goes back to my answer with question one, Robert Hughes' great saying, nothing ages faster than our vision of the future. This is true. Or our idea of the future. Yes. And this film is a prime example of that happening. Yes. So, yeah, there's also a profound question three, technical distance. I mean, the, because the funny part, I mean, the funny, like, it does say, like, all the, you know, like, Siskel and Ebert talk about the graphics. I do think it mentions on the box, like, these amazing computer graphics, and oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So bad. They're so bad. They're, the special effects are so, so bad. So... A, it's it's like it's literally you type in yes or no. Um, it does. I mean, it is computer graphics from the two color monitor era. And and it has. Did, it's did like you a, want amber or green? Right, and it's and a, this computer does white. And it's a you know there the there's a dial up modem to connect to uh, you call other computers. I mean the internet didn't exist then, right? Yeah. So well, like, the internet did. Exists in a way through, but not the to, military and certain right. universities. But like for not, us, not for some random architect yeah. from San Francisco, yes. which I think is the other big technical distance. He is a educated professional who knew nothing about computers. Right. Oh, exactly. When is the last time? Was the last year that you could be an educated professional, educated young professional, right. and not know anything about computers? Which is part of the conceit of Miles's character. Exactly. And you know what? Like, there you can't would do have, it. there would have actually been some sort of technology related to architecture at that time yeah. which is weird because architecture is a lot of math it's a lot of math so you're it's doing like, load management maybe yeah. you want the best thing in the world yeah to do the math for you so that's also very weird yeah, yeah. but you're right like now that kind of that conceit of like having no sense of technology whatsoever. And in the beginning, they set it up like he's struggling with the ticket machine and he's struggling with the person next to him is listening on her headphones and he has no idea that she's listening to something on her headphones. So it's set, but that's the funny part. They set it up that he has no idea about technology whatsoever, but like he pl literally plugs in Edgar and is like, oh, he can run the coffee maker and suddenly becomes this massive tech guy and he runs out and gets all these other like components to it. Yeah. Which is really, really funny. Which I think actually reminded me of another prescient point about this film is the way technology makes people isolated. Mm -hmm. That opening montage, I forgot to mention that. Thank you for bringing, thank you for sparking that memory. This idea that everybody is together alone. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You know. Yeah. He's out in public and like there's everybody a is in in, in their own world, which yeah. 
you know, go to a coffee shop, go to a Starbucks. Yeah. Everybody's on their laptop with buds in their ears. Yeah. And they're physically in one place, but not. So it actually figured that out as well. Yeah. And that's even before the uh, famous Walkman essay in Ian Chambers's Vigrancy Culture Identity, yeah. which was 1987. So it was even smarter than academia. Yeah. So, question four. Will we ever watch this movie again? I think it's going to be one of those, like, in ten years, we're like, ah, we should revisit Electric Dreams. That kind of thing. Um, I don't know. You know? <laughs> I mean... As you said, Megan at the end was perfectly set up for a sequel. Yeah. In 10 years, I'll watch Megan 6. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe not Electric Dreams. Unless I truly wanted... Unless I truly wanted to feel kitschy. Yeah. If the... If time... As time passes, will this film become even more from retro to kitsch? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing, yes. Then then that'll be the experience I want. I mean, there is the great Pac-Man simulation where Edgar throws the tantrum and, like, kind of wrecks Miles' apartment, and you have a sense that, like, almost Pac-Man's real and he's hunting him or something. Yeah. Ah, you know, if I want... Wacky. So the, the, if I want an 80s film that relies on technology, I'm going to watch War Games, I'm going to watch Weird Science... I'm going to watch Superman 3, where um, Richard Pryor plays a hacker, which is the premise of Office Space, right? They steal the idea for um, skimming them the sense off of, from Richard Pryor. And I think someone in the last two months in Pennsylvania got um, arrested for a very similar scam, actually. <laughs> so Someone watched uh, Superman 3 and was like, that's a good scam. Yeah. So, you know, the, I think the thing about those, like... For at least weird science, like they kind of like they grow as people and evolve and things like that. There's no evolving in this film, so it's just very, for me, very flat. Um, and Edgar is the one who ultimately decides that uh, Edgar actually self destructs, destroys himself. Spoiler. Um, spoiler. But so it's, he becomes sentient and commits suicide. Yeah. Uh, but however. <laughs> He takes over the airways and plays a song that he, that he wrote after so, death. So he becomes in. He's in the matrix. He's, he's in the in matrix the, some, somewhere. He's out there. Yeah. Um. So I could for me, I could always, I could see myself doing laundry in our basement and be like, oh, electric dreams. But it'd be like 10, 15 years from now that I'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, electric dreams. But the better film is her. Like, if yes. You, go see her. I mean, go see her. Go see Megan. Go see Megan. I think with her. You know, the kind of, the sense of social isolation, developing these deep connection with your technology, which all of us have our phones with us now, right? Like we All of us have our phones with now, and all of us expect things to be tailored for us. Yeah. In a way that is not part of the world of electric dreams. Yeah. The, the computer does stuff, but doesn't sort of provide context, doesn't... You know, I will say the other thing is part of it is over the winter break and into January, uh, I got a new laptop and a new cell phone, and my whole digital landscape is different, and I feel like I visited another country or something. Yeah. It's great. As I'm, I'm happy yeah. to have these things that work, consist- work consistently yeah. the way the old stuff didn't. Um... But and yeah, I, there's I an think, element of yeah that of the tailoring and the customization and that that you will 
maybe have your needs anticipated yeah. that part of the joke and the premise of Electric Dreams is that Edgar can't do that. Yeah. You have to tell Edgar what to do. Right. And I think um, the other thing about it, too, is that we know at the time computers didn't have the processing speed. To do this. To do this stuff. And so, I mean, there's that part of it being the 2020s, watching a film from the 80s that's trying to figure out what computers are. But at the end of the day, we know that if if Miles just flipped the switch or just... Pulled the a, plug. Pulled the plug or popped the breaker, Edgar is done and there's no issues or problems. Or pushes him off the table, which he ultimately ends up doing. Yes. Um, and so... It, you know, I think there's no, there's no tension in this film. There's no growth of characters in this film beyond Edgar. Um, so if you want that, if you want kind of that dealing with technology and and it becoming intelligent and replacing humans, see Megan, see her. Yeah, um, but and for me, there isn't anything like I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of Weekend at Bernie's. Um, but, like, at least you're going to get some chuckles from Weekend at Bernie's. This, you're not really getting <laughs> getting yeah. much from this. Beyond looking at the graphics and being like, wow, those are super cheesy. Yeah. That's about it. That is about it. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. We're out. Bye. Bye.